Um, all right, well, join with me as again we are stuck, if you will, <laughs> in uh, the deep end of the pool here in John chapter 6. So if you would like to look at it yourself here with me, go ahead and grab a copy of Scripture. Uh, I, I do every once in a while just challenge people. I want you to actually see the Word of God on the page and read it along as, as we cover it and are looking at it. Uh, not, not to be distracting, and it's not like you have to do that, but just if you're even at home here watching this, like go grab a copy of Scripture and just look at these powerful words. These are, can I, can I just say that like these are some of the most powerful words that have ever been spoken in human history. Like these are words that Jesus says are words of life. And so if we believe that today, let's eat of them and drink deeply from them this morning. So look here with me at John chapter 6. And today our lectionary reading, and again, this is our, what, fourth week in John 6. Uh, third week of preaching it, but, but fourth week of reading through it. And we've got one more week, okay? So we've got, you know, we're, we're almost done. If you're tired of John 6, then you know, don't tell anybody that. But, uh, but other than that, like, let's, let's just hang in there. Notice this, 6, and then we'll start with 51. Through 58. Let's all stand for the reading of the gospel as is our custom. Notice these words of Jesus. As remember, he's already fed the 5,000 and multiplied the bread, and he's already walked on water. Two clear signs to us. Now he speaks uh, here, continuing his thought on the fact that he is the bread of life. Notice these words 51 of 6. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, or amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... You have no life in you. Now, my thought is, as they're in the synagogue and he's teaching here, there was a couple of, oh, you know, like you get that scene where the lady's like, oh, my Lord, you know, and, and kind of does like, you never seen a movie that does that, you know? And maybe he lets it sit for a second. Whoever feeds on my flesh. Now, in the Greek word there, is just as gnarly as it sounds here. It's actually gnaw. The word for gnawing at flesh, like with ribs, think. And drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. And I in him. Sound familiar? Later in John, I am the vine. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, a little Trinitarian language here, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers or the ancestors ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Everything in life fades away. That's our experience. Which is why the Buddha, in its worst way of interpreting that says that all of life, therefore, is meaningless in this way. And, of course, we hear that echoed in Ecclesiastes, don't we? You do this, and then it fades away. I mean, just think real quick. You, you had a, maybe a wonderful meal last night. Uh, and yet, this morning, I dare say, you probably woke up hungry. If not, just give it a little bit, and you'll be there. That meal faded away. It'd be nice just to be able to go to one restaurant and just pig out for the week and be done. I mean, not really if you like eating, but you get my point. I like the fact that we eat multiple times a day and have to keep doing it. 
is something I enjoy doing and uh, discovering and working on, but it fades away. Think about your work and making money and opportunities uh, to put our hands to the plow and whatever that might look like for you. There are times of joy and, you know, like you, maybe, you, maybe you're the type that when you get a new challenge, I mean, that's when you just get in the game. You know, if things are going ho-hum, you're just kind of like, man, I mean, maybe need to start looking for a different job. Uh, but even those times of intensity, even those times of joy in your work, which we were created to work. I mean, in the beginning, work is not a product of sin, right? I mean, we're all clear on that. God himself works, we're told, and rest. So he has a rhythm of work and rest. And so should we. But even our work fades away. Uh, I, I've talked to several of you about your jobs and people, you know, uh, people that you've watched in the company, for instance, uh, have retired and just simply been replaced as if they were a number. And it's like, yeah, I, you know, like the work we're doing right now matters, but in 10 years, am I really going to be remembered? <laughs> Is what I do going to fade away? Beauty, of course, fades away. And some of us are, are realizing that more than others, you know, uh, like me, for instance. I'm like, man, my, my hairline, like I look back at some pictures that weren't really that far back. And it's just like that hairline just continues to go back. And I'm finding hair on my ears and nose I never knew I had. And so, you know, it's just beauty fades too, doesn't it? Entertainment. As much as we love it in our society and stuff, like, it gets old. And, you know, it's like, oh, man, you know, like, I, I just binged out and now I, I need a change of pace here, you know. Entertainment, we all, we've all probably tried to find it in movies or games or whatever type of entertainment. Reading the news is entertainment for some people. Um, but it too fades, doesn't it? You say, well, what about relationships, though? Like, that's, that's one. But even relationships... They ebb and flow, don't they? I mean, you know, you know how it is when you first meet somebody, and it's like, man, they're really cool. Like, this is really neat. I would just say, like, give it some time, you know? Um, give it some time. Everybody's human, and everybody's uh, um, in the same sort of boat. Like, we're all going to get on each other's nerves at times. It just it is what it is. Like, and I actually like those moments because, to me, those are the real moments. When all of a sudden we finally get on each other's nerves, I'm like, okay, we're at level two now, you know? A lot of people just like to keep it on level one because, well, they don't want to go deep because they don't want to find the messiness that comes sometimes with, well, all the time, with relationships. And I hope we can see some of this as a mirror upon ourselves. And I hope that we can also see that Jesus' words here are meant for us. He's talking about not something that fades away, but rather that lasts forever. Now, everything that we know about the material world and the, if you will, biological life that we have is going to fade away. That's absolutely true. But Jesus is using a word here in Greek that's zoe. Uh, I mentioned this, right? Uh, like, the, like the name Zoe, which is spiritual life. And could I say something? Even if the world is fading away and even if things are crumbling around you, and maybe some of you can testify to this with a good amen, if you are right with God in your heart and right with others in your heart, you can walk through any valley of the shadow of death as, you, as long as you know that he is with you. Anybody experience that sort of presence, even in the darkness, even in the storm? Let me just be the first to raise my hand and say, I have. And I'm telling you, this spiritual life, this life that doesn't fade because God himself is eternal, is what he's offering to us this morning. It's what he's offering to us in these words. You know, maybe, maybe you can think of all of these things in life that fade away like fireworks. They're real bright and they happen for a moment, but then they just become vapor. And isn't this what James says, right? Life is but a vapor. And just as we sang a moment ago, what are we going to do with our time? How are we going to use our time? It's just there for a moment and then it's gone. And of course, I think of... I think of the, the lasting impact of my grandparents 
two of which are my grandmothers are still alive, but not my grandfathers. And yet every step of the way, they've made an impact on me because they focused on eternal things in their life, because they went the way of Jesus Christ. That's the way they chose. Well, as we've been talking about, everything in life may perish, so don't waste your life on the things of this world. Instead, eat and drink Christ. That's the simple formula here. You are what you eat, as we said last week. And we're wanting to consume Christ so that he can consume us, so that we can be in him and he in us. It's the classic theological formula of union and communion with God. We are united to God to fellowship with him, which is why he draws us to his table. And this is maybe where we need to begin, particularly with this sort of language of Jesus, finding this this talk about eating and drinking because it's mentioned over and over again here in chapter 6, but particularly in our lesson for today. Eat this, drink this, and he just keeps true food, true drink. Where's all this eating and drinking come from? Well, if, and most of the Jews are the ones who dispute here, right? So they're very aware of the Old Testament. Well, we need to be as well. That's why it's so helpful, friends, to be steeped in the images and in the knowledge of the Old Testament. Please just force yourself to read the Old Testament. Uh, because it is the backbone. It is the first book that we're given, so to speak, that the New Testament comes and adds to and even clarifies. And so what we find is that, remember, in the beginning, where are Adam and Eve placed? Yeah, in a garden, particularly a fruit garden. (laughs) So their meeting place was not in the desert, but rather... In a garden, where really it's kind of buffet-style, low-hanging fruit is available. And in fact, it's so available that they're, the only restriction that they're actually given, remember, is about their eating. It's not, hey, don't go kill somebody. Don't be lying now. Don't be deceiving people. These, are, these will come later. The first command of God... Is actually to be fruitful and multiply, which is a positive, and then don't eat of that tree. So there's a positive, be fruitful and multiply, which Jesus has already proven here. So I think there's some remnants of Genesis here with the feeding of the 5,000. But then he says this, do not eat of that tree. And if there's true drink and, and his body is true food, then that means there's also false and fake food, and drink. So God, even in Genesis, is ordering his creation with Adam and Eve. Well, then you get to Abraham, right? And then you get this interesting figure of Melchizedek. And remember what happens to them? They, they meet up together, and guess what they do? They bring out bread and wine and share a meal together. Later, Abraham again sees three men. These are, these are uh, this is a theophany of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they come and he feeds them and they share a meal together. Uh, we, we saw just the other week, Elisha and his servant feeding many, again, multiplying bread for others. Uh, in Exodus, we see God providing manna for his people. Uh, Elijah, just this last week, was our story where a supper is provided for him for his journey. Remember? So he eats, and then boom, he's able to continue on his journey. And then today our text is from Proverbs, where wisdom sets what? Her table. With food and says, come on in and eat of this. Eat of what is true. Could I add one more? And that is one of the most popular psalms of all time, probably the most read piece of scripture ...in all of the world, which is Psalm 23. You remember what happens here? The Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything. Does that sound like Jesus' words? I don't need anything. Like, I don't want because he's my shepherd. 
I know he gives me what I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. So you get, again, food and water. Sound familiar? Like that's, these are two elements that are sacraments for us. He restores my soul. He leads me past righteousness for his namesakes. Then notice, notice the twist here in this psalm, and you probably know it well. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now notice this next part, because he shifts again. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. Now that always strikes me. You know, of course, then you know my head, oh, you, my cup overflows. He sets the table, not in a pristine condition, but rather in the face of enemies. What's the practical implication? Well, the practical implication is this. This table is set up in a world that doesn't believe in God. That things are fading away around us. People that are confused about their path or the way in which they should go. People that are lost. People that are in this room (laughs) who have come to this table set up right here in enemy territory, so to speak. And... The good king has landed in disguise in the incarnation, the son of God, and has provided us a way to bring salvation to town, to any town, and to every town, until his kingdom becomes the only town, the only city. His kingdom is meant to be the only city, and it will be one day. All the other cities will fade away. All the other cultures and kingdoms of this world They'll fade away and give way to his. And so this table is symbolic in the sense that it represents all that God has for us. His body, his blood, his life for you and for me. You know, we, we actually, in starting Harvest Point, the, uh, <clears throat> the first thing we did was pray. And we had a prayer group for many years and some of you... <laughs> that were a part of that prayer group are, are still with us, you know. And uh, you're a little older, like me, and that's all right. We're, we're growing together, you know, journeying together. Um, but we had a prayer group, which, you know, just in reading Acts, right, I'm like, Lord, how did you plant the church? Well, they were praying, and then the Holy Spirit came. So, it's like, well, that's a great place to start, prayer. I don't want to lose that. Pastor Bruce and I are actually figuring out ways with, with uh, Gerald, who's leading our intercession team, to cultivate prayer in our congregation. Like, just get it back in there. Give us another uh, steroid shot of prayer in our midst because nothing happens without prayer. Because if it does, then it looks like we did it. It's not us. It's God. God through us, yes, but not without prayer. The next thing we did was we, you know, just like, hey, let's go ahead and have a first kind of official service, right? And this was um, uh, directionally, yes, right up here. Yes, right over there. Uh, Nazarene Church, right? And so we, we gathered together, and our first service was actually a Maundy Thursday. Our first official thing was a Maundy Thursday service, and we had communion that I almost choked on, and that's kind of a, a funny story there for a minute, um, and, and so I, I took it without having much to drink afterward. And so, you know, cause they only give you that little thing and it wasn't enough to get it down. I had too big of a piece of bread. And so, so one of our first big things officially that we did together was a Monday Thursday service, which is a communion service, which also acts backs up, doesn't it? Because as the church grew, what they do break bread together. Now, these are, these are simple things to... These are not... Some people come to Christianity and say, well, it's only for the elite. I beg to differ. In fact, it, that's Gnostic in its thinking. If you have to have this secret knowledge and know all these things and all... Like, that's not the point. It's take and eat, take and drink. This is what we do. This is the obedience we have. Eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. So all throughout the Bible, there is this table... This altar. In the tabernacle, the centerpiece, remember, 
was both the altar was there, there was bread always there, and then you had the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is, which again is a box with the cherubim on it. Then in the temple, same sort of thing, a table is set up. Again, sacrifices made. It's about eating. It's about drinking. These are things that have always been a part of our story as Christians. And we should be proud of this. This is something that, that God has gifted us with that we do all the time anyway. But this is a sacred meal. It's kind of what it means to be a sacrament. It's a sacred, mysterious thing that we do. And so you have in Jesus, uh, when he comes, he institutes the Lord's Supper properly as we say, or communion, or the Eucharist, or as Catholics would say, Mass. And he says, do this until I come again. This is a clear command in Scripture. He also, remember, is baptized and says, ultimately, through St. Paul... All people should be baptized that are Christian. It's what it means to enter into the covenant of God. And so Jesus himself is baptized. Jesus himself partakes of communion. So these are the two sacraments, sacred mysteries that he both institutes and then gives to us to do. Not just to understand, but to do. It's fine to try to understand them. And I would suggest you do that for the rest of your life. ...as they are a mystery of faith, a mystery of grace. But ultimately they are visible signs of an invisible grace... ...that we then visibly take into our body, but invisibly by faith. So it's this marrying of the material and the spiritual... ...which... ...is exactly how he created this, isn't it? We're not just an animal... ...and we're not just spiritual. You know, the animals, they do their thing. The angels, they do their thing. We're between them. We're made of both. We have this body that we have to take care of... ...have to feed it, have to wash it. I mean, it's kind of weird to think about. Have to go make it sleep, you know... Like I've said before, it's kind of odd, like, pretty much from me to the front row here, well, maybe a little bit further, maybe to, maybe to Bruce back there, my neighbors live, and I know their bedroom is right there, and our bedroom's right here, and we just both, like, lie in there asleep, you know, all night. It's just weird. But we've got to do that with our body. We're not just spirit. We're not just always awake. We can't go without food. We can't go without water. And why do you think then that he gives us these things, right? These things that we're so familiar with. These things that are so necessary for life. It's not elite things that we got to go climb a mountain to try to get and there's only one flower there. No, no, these are things that are common. These are things that are elements that are available to us. But he's the one who makes them sacred. He's the one who makes them holy. And he says, I'm going to use these common things to save the world. Now, now, friend, do you see the good news? That means he can use common things. Not the brightest. Not the sharpest knife in the drawer. People like me. People like you. And he can save the world if we are willing to offer ourselves to his holiness. Because holiness is made to be, meant to be used. It's not meant to be put aside and, oh, oh, don't touch that. Now, there's a proper way to touch it. There's a proper way to approach it. But holiness, sometimes we get in our mind, oh, if you're holy, like, oh, we don't, we don't touch those. You know, in fact, actually in tribal religion, the holy people, you don't touch. They're taboo. You would never want to touch them. You actually don't even want to be around them. Because they see dead people and all sorts of th kind of things. That was kind of a pun as well. It's okay to laugh or just give me a courtesy laugh even sometimes. But here, Christ gives us a meal to not only remember him by, but to receive his grace. And which makes us holy. 
But holiness is not meant for us to be standoffish to the world, but actually to go into the world. You know, like I said, and I've used this before, so forgive me, but I just think it's the best illustration for like what holiness is, is, is sometimes we think holiness is having you know, a white shirt on and just not getting it dirty. You know, just like, oh man, like, look at me. I have not gotten dirty in 10 years with this or that. I've got a pristine shirt. But holiness, no, no, no. Rather than that, which can be super legalistic and have all kinds of rules attached to it, because guess what? You're not going to be able to eat spaghetti. You're not going to be able to cook bacon in that white shirt, buddy. I did it this morning, you know, and I think I actually got some grease on one of my favorite shirts, which I shouldn't have worn, and I knew I shouldn't have worn it, but I did it anyway, and then, mm. Maybe Jessica can, like the Holy Spirit, cleanse it, hopefully, but... No, holiness, holiness... Uh-uh. Not about, ooh, don't, don't, don't touch it here, don't step... No, it's the bleach of life. It bleaches everything. It's meant to go to the stains. It's meant to go to the dark spots in our world. It's meant to be taken on us and in us so as to cleanse us and his world, to redeem it, to make it right again. Goodness, don't you love the, the language of, of the, um, what was it? Yeah. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and then pursue it. Man, doesn't our world need some peace right now? Like, I'm talking about the peace of Jesus Christ. Not just peace in the Middle East, which never has happened. But rather, peace that surpasses all human understanding. So how are you still peaceful, man, even though I'm raging at you? Or how are you still peaceful, even though your whole world's falling apart? Well, if he is with us. Isn't he our shepherd? Isn't he our host that invites us to his table and wants to serve us? Not something other than himself, but wants to serve us himself. Now you say, well, whew, that's some tough words, and you are right to say it. They say it's tough words as well, don't they? They dispute it, in fact. How in the world... Is this cannibalistic? And we've already kind of dealt with this a little. He obviously doesn't mean he's going to be the dinner tonight. There wouldn't be enough to go around for the whole world, would it? He's talking about the whole world, friends. No, it's his, it's his grace, which is his life, which is the person and the body of Jesus Christ, which to this day, friends and family, he's resurrected. In other words, he actually has his body. His body is not decomposing like all of our loved ones and like we are and will be. No. Mm -mm. He didn't get to turn to dust because he resurrected. And the hope, the hope that I, every funeral I do, especially of those, well, every funeral that I do of those that I know loved Christ and had their faith in Christ, um, and even some of your loved ones, I, I did the same thing. I go to the body and I say, I will see you soon. I will see you soon. Those eyes, they'll open again. Because that's what he says. They'll be like me. And when they saw Jesus, he wasn't an alien. Right? No. He was able to walk through the walls, but they weren't like, what kind of new species is this? No, no. Remember what he did after the resurrection? He ate with them. Do you see, this, you see this component of eating and drinking? He, go, he shows them, give me some bread. And then he cooks fish. And he eats. The road to Emmaus, remember? They're jiving along. When do they recognize him? In the breaking of the bread. When will we recognize Christ? In the breaking of the bread. In the taking him in. This is both by faith and by doing it. You see, remember what I promised you last week was Jesus has kind of a two-part sermon here, really, that he's giving in the synagogue. He's, he, the first part is eating is believing. In other words, eat of me. He's saying, believe in me. Trust me. Give me your life. Like, put me in you. And then the second part, which is our text today, is believing 
is eating. If you believe, then <laughs> come. Come to the table. Eat, partake, and then be sent out. Now, Peter Lightheart, who deeply respects down in Birmingham with Theopolis, he gave just, this is helpful, okay? Because we have all these words, right? Lord's Supper, Supper, Communion, Eucharist, Mass. He says this, the Lord's Supper reminds us that we eat and drink at it. Like it's something that we all know how to do, right? It's just eating and drinking the right thing. It's kind of like being on the right diet, you know? We know what to do sometimes, we don't do it. But we know how to eat and drink. Well, come to this supper. Come to this communion, which is the second word. Communion reminds us that our eating and drinking deepen our fellowship with the Lord and with his church by the Holy Spirit. So, because, you know, any good supper has, a, has stories to be told, right? Like, I mean, you know, Thanksgiving is not too awful far away. And it's like, I expect at Thanksgiving a family story, right? I mean, the one that always makes us laugh. Like, we've heard it a million times, and yet when we tell it again, guess what? Everybody's going to laugh. Everybody's going to identify with that because it's our tradition. It's in us. And don't we tell every time we take of the Lord's Supper, don't we tell the story of salvation? Yeah, we do. That's part of our liturgy is to retell that story. Because it's, guess what? Our family story. And then, of course, the term Eucharist, which we use from time to time, is from the Greek word give thanks. Because we thank our Father, just as Jesus did, for the gift of his Son. When he took the bread, he gave it thanks. Cup, gave thanks. We do the same. And we eat and drink in gratitude for what he's done. That's why we shouldn't let our mind wander when we come to these holy elements. We, we need to be focused. We need to take the time to do that, which is what part of our liturgy is meant to help us do is to focus our mind, focus our bodies, and then bring ourselves, our whole self, to God here for this meal. And then, of course, mass, you're like, man, mass. And I was too. I was like, mass, now, we're not going to use that. It's Catholic. They made it up. <laughs> it's Latin, <laughs> which it is Latin. Um, but he goes like this. Peter Lahar says this. Look, it's the dismissal that matters. This is important. In, in the, the Latin mass, the last words is actually mass, okay? Which means, and there's a, there's a longer Latin phrase here that I'm not going to attempt because I actually don't know Latin. But it's this, go, you are sent. So mass has to do with the rhythm of the church's life that we gather as a body... And then we are meant to scatter. In other words, you don't just come here to be here all week. (laughs) I wouldn't mind that for maybe the first week. But the second week, I'm like, hey, I need to probably get some stuff done. And you being here just kind of weird. Like, you need to go home to your family. You need to go raise your kids. You need to go to work. And in fact, Paul deals with this in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. People were not working because they said, well, if Jesus is coming back, I'm just staying here to worship and groove on Jesus. And he says, no, 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 no. You go out, you come in and are fed and are told the story and accept and receive so that you can be sent. Which, which is why at, our serve, at the end of our service, we always have benediction. It's like, hey, now it's time to go. Not because we don't want you here, but because you now go back into your lives being now fed and nourished by Christ himself. Do you see how this works? If not, we become a cesspool that has no entry or exit. And there, in those kind of waters, leeches grow. Let me just tell you because I drank from some of that water that doesn't have an inflow and doesn't have an outflow. In an alpine region. It wasn't good for three other people that were with me. Here's the thing. We're meant to drink from what kind of water? Living water. What is is living water? 
It's water that's alive. What does alive water mean? It's flowing. Remember Ezekiel? His vision? The water comes out of the temple. They tried to hold it in. Oh, we're the, we're the holy ones. Everybody else going to hell. See you later. Whew. Flows where? To the desert. Because you know what water always does? Water always goes down. Water goes down. <laughs> and it only comes up if there's so much of it. Like in a flood. We need his water to flood our world. A new flood. A flood of grace. A flood of mercy. A flood of peace. Friends, that's what we're to be swimming in. That's what we're to be pouring out of our lives. Is this sort of living water. And it's not going to be from being high and mighty. But rather low and humble as our Lord was. And is even to this day. Who kneels down at this very mill and washes his disciples' feet. You know, I, uh, again, I've used this before, but it's just something the Lord taught me and I, I can't disconnect it. Um, and I'll tell the short version. But a bird got stuck in my garage. You've heard this. And that dude was just going everywhere. Feathers flying. I'm like, bro, get out of here. You know, like trying to get a, get a, uh, I got a, got a broom and I'm like trying to usher him gently out of my garage. I opened up all the doors of the garage and he's still just boom, 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 because birds, they go up. They fly up. That's what they do. And so his thinking was like, man, I can get out of here if I just go up until I get out of everything else. Just go up. Just keep trying harder. And, I mean, dude's just bumping his head. I mean, it's, it's bad. It's sad. I'm like, oh, I can't leave him alone. He's going to die in here. So anyway, I shut it down, go to a baseball game, come back, and finally the thing looks just absolutely exhausted. And he had been up on it, perched like real high up on one of my shelves. Well, now he had gotten down because he's just like so tired. He's not even scared of me anymore. He's just like, oh, you know. And he flies away and gets out. But not before he came down. Not before he became lowly. I don't know what it takes for you to be humbled. Um, And for some of us, (laughs) it takes a little bit, you know. But when we get down there, the point is not to give up. It's instead to look up. Not to try on our own to fly up, do it ourselves. It's to look up for God, to God for help. And then he'll put somebody in my life, our life, like that little bird, me for that little bird, that's not against us, even though it looks like we are. Get out of here, get out of here. You know, I have the best in mind for you, little birdie. Doesn't seem like that, though, does it always? When we get critiqued or when we fail, which failing just stinks for everybody, it just does. Failing at relationships. Look up. He is with us. Do you believe that? He is for you. He's for me. And guess what? He loves us, yes, but he also likes us. He likes you. He likes the way you are. That's why he's unwilling to let us stay where we are. He loves us too much. He knows there's more. And he wants to give us that more at his table, by his grace. And so Paul will warn us in 1 Corinthians, hey, there is a way to come to the table. You don't just come up here and grab your own stuff. You know, they were drinking so much of the wine, they were getting drunk. They were breaking in line of each other. I've never been to a church service where people broke in line at communion. Maybe talked in the line, but not break in line, like shoving themselves up 
rich were eating before the poor and the poor were getting the crumbs. And he goes, what in the world is going on, people? No, 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 no. Instead, examine yourself. Put the mirror of the word of God up against your life. And let me tell you, if you, if you truly examine yourself by the word of God, you won't be looking down at your neighbor. Can I just tell you that? Because that, that plank in your aisle bopped them in the head. Trying to get out the speck in their eye. No, Paul says, look, examine yourself. That's the way you come to the table. You know, my, my, um, I've spent a lot of time at a table in my life. In fact, my Christian uh, walk, as far as my memory takes me back to, begins at a table, at our dining room table with my dad, where we turned two chairs toward each other and prayed together. At five years old, I said, I want Jesus in my heart, Daddy. I want to love him like what you preached about. Did I know everything about Christian? Of course not. <laughs> Do I know everything now about Christian? Of course not. Actually, in fact, I feel like I know less now than I ever have. But you know who I know? is Christ Jesus. I know his presence in my life. I know his voice. He's my shepherd. I don't need anything. And no matter what's going on around me, I look to him. And when I don't, he corrects me with his rod. And when I get caught and fail, he picks me up with his staff. And he comforts me. And I'm just telling you, as the sun was rising this morning, he comforted me. He comforted me. Now, you can't buy that with money, brothers and sisters. His comfort. Now, did he say anything big to me like revelatory? No, it was just I knew he was there. And I was there. I didn't say anything in that moment. I just continued to look at the beauty that was before me. Just like the beauty that's before us this morning. Things like water. Water that represents new creation. Water that represents our new life in Jesus Christ. And bread. Bread which is common as dirt in both the ancient world and in our world. And notice one thing here. It's not, we never, we never just bring raw materials to God. These are, these are symbols. We don't just bring raw materials to God. Even in the Old Testament, remember, they had to bake a cake. <laughs> they made these things. They didn't just bring, like pick it up, all right, there you go. No, they made something, and then even when they brought their lamb, right? They'd already had it for a year, and then they kill it, then they roast it, then they eat it. They did. The priest had some, and then they had some, and some was given to God. Big old meal, big supper. What's the point? Well, the point is, anytime we come to God, like David, when he was buying the field for the place for the temple, he says, I'm never going to come before God where it doesn't cost me something. I'm always going to have something to offer him. I'm never just going to give him something for free. But instead something that costs. Which is part of why we give a tithe and offering. It's our first. Right off the top. It's yours, Lord. Like really it's all yours, but you say just to give the 10%, which is what tithe means. So right off the top, before I even know what all bills might come my way, or engines that break, or water spouts that break in our yard and we have to pay for before any of that kind of stuff happens. I'm going to go ahead and cut yours right off the top because I trust you. I don't need anything. I don't need anything. I'm just telling you, that's a, that's a different way to live life, isn't it? Before my week begins, God, with all this, I mean, I know your lives are as busy as, as mine, if not more. Probably all of your lives are busier than mine. And yet, right here at the fir first, first of the week, you're taking out time today. Just cut it right off the top. Boom. This is yours, Lord, because I trust you. I trust you enough to spend my time, to waste my time with you. But wine. Wine. <laughs> For us teetotaler Protestant people, we use grape juice. And that's, that's fine, you know. I hope. I'm, I'm evaluating some of that. <laughs> some people on the radio are on the, the online are like, oh Lord, did he just really say that? You know, <laughs> where are we going? You know, 
Um, wine takes years to make. That's kind of the point. Bread, huh, you could have done that this morning. In fact, Carrie Lawrence used to make our communion bread. So from the work of her hands, we would eat, and it would become part of us. Which is kind of the point, right? We, we, we offer something man-made. This is, look, God didn't make this this morning. You do realize that. Oh, it's not glowing. It doesn't have a halo over it. But it's holy. It's set aside. That's why it's covered. It's sacred. But it's the work of our hands. But doesn't God use the work of our hands? To heal, to create, to restore, to redeem, to make peace. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's how he does it. That's how he's going to save the world, actually. It's, it's not real complicated. It's pretty simple, really. We come in, we eat, we go out. And we feed the world. From what? Our bodies. The work of our hands. You see, bread is for fuel, but wine is for feasting, which is the component of the cup. The cup represents for us the feasting part. This is, we raise our cup to the king and we give him thanks for our life, for our family, for our friends. And then we drink. It's a toast. It's a toast to the highest toast, which is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's why, that's why it's okay to, to remember the death of Christ in this mill. Of course we are to remember this in that way. But it's, <laughs> it's appetizer, so to speak, for what is to come, which is our hope that one day... Every tear will be wiped away forever. Isn't that the kind of world you want to live in? Every wrong righted. I, I don't know how to do that. That's kind of the point. He does. We trust in him that he is a good father. And he feeds us. And gives us what we need. Do you believe that? Do you believe this week he can give you what you need? That you can receive from his hand. And that the things that we give him, he can multiply. You give him a little bit of obedience, he can multiply that. There's table manners, all right. And it's this. Repent and believe. Pretty simple. Before you come to this table, confess your sins. Paul will say it like this. If, if you, or Jesus actually, uh, if you have something against your brother, then go make right because I don't even hear you if you don't. So make it right in your heart. Make it right with them. You know, confession of sin, that, that's a, that is a, mm, mm, that's a tough thing. Anybody? Anybody want to say amen right there? In brackets in my notes, I should have put amen. To say what I am in that moment of sin is a painful thing. And the Bible doesn't just say confess it to God, but instead your sins one to another, which is why we believe in banded discipleship. Which is why the Catholic Church believes you should speak it to a priest at the least. It's been a part of our family tradition. <laughs> you see, that before the meal, you get yourself right. If you would have come to Meemaw's table without your shirt on, she said, go get your shirt on. We were playing outside, you know, us boys, and she'd be like, nope, that's not the way, and wash your hands. Everybody knows in our house, because of somebody, that you wash your hands before you eat. Water, food, eating, drinking, washing, bathing, 
meals. You see, these are the things of salvation. These are the things that are not for angels and not for animals, but are for humans. So be baptized, every one of you. Remember your baptism, if you have been baptized. And eat and drink of Christ. Because it's from the one loaf that our unity comes. It's from the one cup that we're made one with him. It's from the altar table, this sacrificial table. That I then can ask you this question as we close. What's on the altar table of your heart? Like, what kind of spread is in your heart? What are you about to come to give to God? We gave a tithe there, that's why I said hang on to that. (laughs) That can be part of it. But what in your life is the Lord saying, give it to me and let me multiply it? What sacrifice will you bring to him? What offering will you bring to him? And are you hearing his voice that is sending you? The whole thing comes right down to the end where he sends us. He sends us out. He sends us back into our families, back into those relationships, back into that work situation, back into the world. But now we've got the light of Christ. Now we are fed by him. Now we have received his grace. Now we have received his salvation. We are his. He is ours. Surely goodness and mercy, Psalm 23, will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Guess what? Forever. Forever. You eat of him, you live forever. You drink of him, you live forever. So come. Come to the Lord's table. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.